you have made it. It has been burning in your heart within you, and you've not been permitted to speak. But now you will be as we have reached chapter 12, concluding our study of Ecclesiastes. It's been a very, very great study from my point of view. I have really learned a lot from all the participants in this class. I appreciate the study that we've been able to have over the last several weeks. And of course, I appreciate the wisdom that the Spirit, the preacher, give us in this book. And tonight will be no different, I think, from that perspective. So as we consider chapter 12, in which we will find the conclusion of this book, of the whole matter, something to consider as right before we jump in would just be the end of chapter 11. Chapter 11 ends, so to speak, or the final thought or concept the preacher invites us to consider is youth. In the last few verses of chapter 11, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So the preacher has told us, consider things in your youth, that time of life where we naturally would maybe not consider things because we are young and we are just doing other stuff, thinking about other things. Preacher tells us, consider some things in your youth, and that thought carries on right in to chapter 12, kind of a forced chapter break in some ways in that we're going to keep talking about that in verse 1. Remember also, so we're just continuing the thoughts, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So what does the preacher counsel us to remember in our youth in this passage? Give me more, kind of tell me, what is he saying here? And maybe why should we do it? Because that's also included in verses 1, verse 2 as well. Why is this the time to think about the creator? Well, we just left that there's a judgment. Okay, good. Yeah, he did just tell us that, you know, kind of, how did he phrase it? Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that whoever you, wherever your heart and eyes take you, you'll be judged for that. And here, it's the creator. He's the one going to be doing that judging. So you might, and definitely you should, consider him. Remember that that's happening. Good. Other thoughts. Why remember the creator when we're young Carrie's got a comment back here. Well, he goes on to answer the question of the why in verses two and following. Because let's face it, as you get older, you just don't have the energy. Everything starts falling apart or sinks down or wherever it wants to go. And so your ability to focus and really be... I, I don't want to convey the wrong message, but in your youth, you're, you're, you've got energy. You've got, you're, it's easier to be enthusiastic and, and like go get it and go out and conquer kind of perspective in, when you're young. And when you're 
older, that just doesn't come as easy. I'm not gonna say it's impossible, but it just doesn't come as easy to do the things that you want to do. You may have the zeal to do it, but you're, you may not have the energy to do it. And if you're, when you're younger, it's easier to train yourself to do certain things. It's harder in your, as you get older to learn new tricks, Yeah, if you will. So yeah. that's my conclusion at being 60 years old. I mean, great, great thoughts. Yeah, if you go to, um, go to any symphony, you know, where you have skilled musicians, you know, playing in an orchestra, you will have difficulty finding someone up in the orchestra that just picked up the instrument last year. You know, people that are really, really skilled at things that are very hard, instruments, maybe even foreign languages. We can, we can do those things much easier when we start young and we start to train because like Carrie says, it's hard to learn, it's hard to train any parts of our body, our mind, the older and older and older we get, that's just how we're designed. And so why would our thoughts about the creator, our relationship with the creator, why would we think that's something we can flip the switch on when everything else in our life we recognize it gets harder as we get older? Why would, why would this be any different, Bruce? Two, and this is a personal observation, uh, Carrie, 20 more years later than you, uh, but it's an anchor. I look at Paul who told Timothy that he had known the scripture from a youth, that he had had good training. Solomon had had good training and an example from his father. And now in this book, as he closes it, closes it up, I think he's kind of saying that <clears throat> the early training, the early remembrance, when I got older and after I had practiced all these things and I had done all these things and I'd spent uh, my desire in youth, now I look back and what did it profit in relationship to God as it brought me closer or driven me far. But that anchor has the power, <clears throat> and again, it's personal, to bring one back to God like the prodigal son, regardless of how long we had been away that remembrance of God that was planted in our youth comes back to us if it's been planted properly and if it's been received properly. And it's not, this, not true in all cases, but in my, cases it, my case it was. And I think that's what he's doing here is kind of admonishing us older people to look back, but also an admonition to parents. Uh, and us older people to make sure we care for the young in their youth and plant these things in their minds and in their hearts that when they do go away, uh, their conscience and their remembrance will bring them back to this deep meditation on what all of that was worth. Paul said it was rubbish. And... I think in my life too, most of uh, my early years were rubbish. Uh, 
but it's important that we plant that seed and we nourish that seed. I appreciate that. I love the thought that you give us of the anchor. I mean, that's a powerful image. Even here, you know, Solomon says, because at some point, we'll get John to say, you know, years are coming. And you're going to look at the later years and say, these are not fun. This is hard. Life is, I can't do what I want to do. I can't, I'm, I'm older, I'm infirm, whatever it might be. And you'll say, I have no pleasure in these years now. And if you have no anchor, remembering your relationship to the creator, remembering his promises, remembering that this is not all it is, that's, that could be a challenge to go through those years without anything tying you back, for sure. John. As you've already pointed out, uh, verse 1 is following right after the last verse of uh, chapter 11. But in, in verse 10 of chapter 11, he talks about uh, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. And I think a possible explanation there is he's saying don't behave when you're young that's going to cause you even more pain when you get older. You've got enough to deal with when you get older without adding to it. And the way you do that is you remember your creator while you're young. Oh, very good thoughts. Absolutely. Do not make it worse for yourself either, for sure. Let's bring in some of the next few verses. We can stay on this thought, but he's going to go to some more poetic language here. This is just my trial of trying to get this thing to advance every week. Let's continue to click it. Um, yes, describe what he's talking about in the verses that come. He's going to use some poetic language. He could just say plainly what he's talking about, but doesn't want to. Wants to use some poetic language here, and you will have to use your imagination. As I look out in this room, I look like we don't have anybody in here over the age of 45, from my view. Everyone's looking, but allegedly two people have claimed to be older, but I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. So use your imagination, young people, tonight. What are these things that he is talking about? Three on through seven. Some of these odd, odd phrases. What do you? Okay, he's talking about the body and kind of giving them anthropomorphizing them. Is that how you say it? He's kind of giving them like names or giving them jobs, like describing them in different ways. Um, what do you think they are? I'm curious. What, what would some of these be, do you think? The keepers of the house. Okay, hands trembling. The keepers of the house tremble. The strong men are bent. Legs, I hear back, legs, parts of the body that are holding you up. You could say legs and back, both are doing that, sure. The grinders cease because they are few. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, don't chew much because your teeth have, they've left you at this point. Or not all of them, you got a few still. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. I so eyesight gone. The doors on the street are shut. That's that's an interesting one. So I heard maybe hearing and maybe lips as well. So both dealing with your ability to communicate either way. So you're not hearing people, you're not talking to people if it's more of a mouth thing here. So 
we're, we're kind of getting the theme that every part of you is not working as it once did. Right? Your hands, your legs, your back, your eyes, your ears. Um, I think there's, there's, are there more here? The sound of the grinding is low. One rises up at the sound of a bird. So you're not sleeping, right? The sound of a bird, a pleasant, tiniest little tweet, and you're up, and now you're up, right? And you're not going back because you're up. Once you're up, you're up. Again, you guys are having to imagine all of this. One day for all of us, this will come. Um, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. What are we talking about here? Sure. So this is, I mean, you can, just one of these things happening, we picture that and we're like, that, that'd be tough. That would be a big change. I'd have to really change probably big parts of my life if just one of these things was happening. And yet, many of these things may come to all of us. All of these things will come to all of us at some point if we live under the sun long enough. And so this is... You could read this, and it's kind of a tragic picture, but it is honest. It is where our bodies are headed under the sun. It's not anything we think about in our youth, because in our youth, we will live forever, and we will run forever, and we will see, and we'll listen, and we will sleep whenever we want, and we'll get up whenever we want. You know, the things that we delude ourselves in our youth, because everything works. And I'm going to live forever, and this is great. And yet, the preacher tells us these days where you say, I have no pleasure in these years because my windows are dim and my doors are shut and the strong man is bent. That's coming. It is coming for everyone. And I think implied as well, these things will also make it harder to remember your creator. Not impossible. Just because these things are going on doesn't mean, oh, I, I can't focus on that right now. But if, if anyone that has any type of difficulty, any chronic condition, any just sign of aging, it impacts your life, right? It, it is harder now to do anything that you'd like to do, and it may be harder to focus on things you'd like to focus on because you get to focus on these a little bit right now. And so this is coming for everyone. And the preacher wants us to know that. They're also afraid of what is high, Terrors are in the way, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Then we got to get these verses here. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Any thoughts about what that imagery that anyone would opine on, possibly. The spinal cord, the, spinal cord I'm guess the, the silver cord being that, and the brain, the golden bowl, possibly. Could be. Any other thoughts there? We're given a lot of pictures here. Again, very easy for Solomon to just speak to what he's talking about to some degree, yet he chose to kind of give us things to think about, to give us images and pictures. And so worth taking some time to just ponder on these things, I think. Um, in, in some ways, there's, I don't know how to say it, there's a little bit of whimsy in it 
when you talk about the grinders cease and the door. Maybe it makes it a little less tragic if he just says, all your teeth are going to fall out. Maybe that's a little intense. And so he kind of gives it to us in a, in a different way that's not quite so shocking. I'm not sure. And then finally, kind of in that verse, I'll bring seven and eight into, and the, um, the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it. And then our familiar refrain, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. I think my next slide brings in those two verses as well. But we're going to do this dance first. Aha, does, does that refrain, vanity of vanities, we've heard that a time or two or, or many in this book. We get it one more time here at the end. Does it have any special impact for you, especially following these verses that you have just read? Potentially, It might not. You might just say like, oh, it's just kind of the chorus. We're just bringing it back again. But fit it in with kind of these verses here. Does, is there anything new or is there anything interesting to you to kind of hear it again after we're kind of given one through seven before it and all that imagery? You're just making a comment because you saw I wanted to drink a... Sip, sip of water. I appreciate you. I got your back. So um, I don't know if this is what he's trying to do, but it seems to me that that when he hits six, he's basically saying, you know, these things are these these special, important, valuable things are broken. I think that's a picture of the end of your life. You're done. And the dust will return to the earth. And then when he does say vanity of vanities, like you're asking in light of everything in, in this chapter, I think it's a call to remember all the things that we've talked about and to bring up a comment that I, I wanted to kind of make earlier. In almost all these chapters, he does mention God in little bits. God is a judge. God watches over things. I fear God. And so he brings all this, and now he's kind of wrapping it up, and I think what he's saying is, you know what? Through all these things that we think about day by day in this life under the sun, you can't escape the fact that you're born and you die. And well, we're not there yet, but you're going to give an account. God's the judge. And he's already brought that up a few times in, in just little places that people that, that read it. Um, maybe for the first time would, would notice. Uh, but we all have to go through these things, every one of us, if we are in a typical life, unless the Lord returns first. Um, but uh, we, every one of us is going to experience this. And so we all have to go through it. There's, there's got to be something more that we need to think about to go back to the, the first two verses, than just the fact that we live for however long, and then we die and return to earth. Yeah, we got a couple over here. Thanks, Sam. I was just sort of wondering, I guess, the, 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 the first verse seems to be a warning. 
I, I mean, when we're young, we have lots of energy, we have lots of strength, we can pretty much go, we can climb trees, you know, we can, we can run, we, can, we have the ability to do lots of things, and when we, when we feel that good, it's maybe something that overtakes our consciousness, if that's the right way to put it. We don't think about what's coming next. We don't think about what happens when I get older. We maybe don't even feel that much of a need for God. Because, you know, we, we got a good life. We've got parents to look after us. You know, we're able to do whatever we want pretty much. We have fun. And, and it's important, even when we're very young, to learn about God, to remember who he is and what, what he has done for us. And, you know, if we don't do that, then what comes next is going to be pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You had a comment too, right? Having gone through um, health issues uh, a couple years back, um, by the way, I would like to thank this congregation and the members here who were so generous to me and Sarah several years ago. At 38 years old, my body ground to a halt, and I was very near death. In fact, the doctor told me, had I tried to tough it out that night, I'm, it's a good chance I would have made it through the night. And. Yes, that would strike some fear in someone, and then not being able to, to do anything physically. But what scares me more than that now is when he says vanity of vanity, all, all is vanity, and you, you ask, what does that mean to me? When you can't do anything, working, talking to friends, socializing, all those things, they don't, they don't mean anything anymore. It's just staying alive. What horrifies me, and it's something I have to admit, is all the things that I realized were not as important as I thought they were. Almost instantly, once I was able to get back up and, and, and rejoin the world in some sort of normalcy, all that vanity returned because it's so easy to do. It's such an easy thing to slip back into that. And so that's what this brings to my mind, is don't forget those of you who have ever been down and out. Eventually it's going, uh, the cold hand of death has come for all of us and eventually you're not gonna be able to escape it forever. So that's what it tells me, is to remember when you couldn't get up and do anything on your own, who kept you alive? Who was there for you the whole time? and who will be there for you for eternity. Well, thank you, that's great thoughts. And, and all three really speak to, you know, what this section is about in large part. Yeah, I'll hear from you before I go on. Thank you. It really doesn't make any difference when you get to that point of death, what kind of car you got, what kind of house you live in, it's all vanity at that point. I mean, every bit of it is. And it doesn't make any difference what all that stuff means because the, uh, Solomon tells us here in verse 7 what's going to happen. And what's going to happen, it doesn't make any difference what you've got, how much money you've got. You're, you know, you're, you're, uh, your body's going to die and your spirit's going to go back to God. It's all been. Absolutely. The... The dust returns to the earth, the spirit returns to God who gave it. Yeah, John. 
In chapter one, he began with the kind of the monotony of the cycle of nature. You know, water evaporates, it goes in the cloud, it condenses, it rains, it flows in the river down to the ocean, then it goes through the cycle again and again. Well, here he's kind of ending up with another cycle, life and death. It's another cycle. And anything that you might try to do that's going to break that cycle is going to be vanity. You can't, that's futile. You're not going to be able to break that cycle. But he's about to tell us shortly one thing, one thing that's not vanity. And I'll wait. We'll talk about that later. We will. <laughs> well, we might talk about it now. <laughs> he is telling us about these inevitable cycle, the cycle of youth and agedness. And then there's one, and then death. And then he gives this picture, and I would, I'll suggest to you, this is the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, is this section right here. And you're looking at your Bibles, and you're saying, you have made a mistake, I have more verses in my version. But this is the end of the book. Now, in a few verses, we're going to get a bit of an epilogue, where the preacher is going to insert himself back in, explain a little bit what he's talking about, and then in some ways explain to us what he just said. But this is a very, very important picture, I think. For the purposes of our class, and I don't know for sure, I find verse 6 and these pictures to be different than the other ones that we've been having, that are things that are supposed to represent part of your body. These things are all similar and supported by what's told at the end, that when these things happen, the dust returns to the earth as it was. The spirit returns to God who gave it a silver cord, which scholars will say that is what you'd hold like a lamp upon, or maybe an in a thing of incense carrying that around. A golden bowl, which you would use to carry something. A pitcher, which you would use to carry something. The wheel on a well, part of that pulley system that you use to draw water. When those things break, when the cord snaps, the bowl breaks, the pitcher shatters, the wheel stops pulling up water anymore. One, they're not valuable anymore because they can't do what they're supposed to do. The bowl, it's golden, but it doesn't hold water anymore. It's, it's broken, right? The pitcher doesn't hold water anymore. I don't just keep it because someone worked hard shaping it. It's worthless now. And those things all are holding or supporting something or containing something. And he says, when these things break, the spirit that God gave now goes back out and returns back to him. And so... The preacher is giving us pictures of things that have value because of what is inside them. And when they don't serve that purpose, they don't have much value anymore, do they? And they have changed. And that's an important thought that the preacher is sending us to. Derek's got a comment back here, Keith, the very back there. The text of verse 7 of chapter 12 is a quotation from the book of Genesis in chapter 3, where the Lord says to Adam, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. And the Lord was telling Adam that there would be a curse resulting from the sin that he had committed when he ate of the forbidden fruit. And 
basically the Lord is trying to tell us that when we die, we will all return to the earth. Absolutely. And you are very, very correct, both in what you are saying about where we will end up in our death and that the preacher wants us to go back to creation, to Genesis, to where things were said, very important things about us when we were made. And I'm saying we, if I count Adam as just when humans were made, there are some important things that are stated about why this has happened. And I definitely think using that language will take us back to that. Now, I'm going to push us forward a little bit for the sake of time because we need to get to what I have called uh, the epilogues. Because just reading this naturally, it almost sounds like someone else has started writing in verse 9. I don't think that's the case where the book has actually ended and some scribe hundreds of years later just added a few notes that here's what I think about Solomon. I think this is Solomon concluding his thought and then in many ways, like someone who's just told you a parable is now going to say, this is what I was talking about. This is the too long, didn't read. If you haven't read all of Ecclesiastes, let me tell you what I've been talking about this whole time. He comes in, verse 9, and he's going to talk a little bit about himself, give a little bit of his credentials here. Why has he been doing this? Why have we just talked about these 12 chapters? Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So just reinforcing, you have read this book. It's been challenging in many ways. There's a lot of thought here. But the author, the preacher, was very wise and worked very hard on this book, compiling these very wise things with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly, he wrote words of truth. So if this book is challenging in some ways, if it is disconcerting in some ways, if it makes us unhappy in some ways, we have to get over that. Because this is not something Solomon just wrote down one day and just said, like, I spent half an hour, just kind of free association of thought. This is a finely crafted, though inspired by God, even still, a work that Solomon compiled to say these things in a helpful way. And then he just emphasizes how important wisdom can be as well. The words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So here you have Solomon saying, it wasn't just me who wrote this. Wisdom comes from one shepherd, ultimately. So the one shepherd gave me wisdom. I have worked incredibly hard. So he's really teeing this up for us to say, I'm about to say something wise to you. But before I do, you need to know how important wisdom is. So when you hear this, depending how you react, you need to think about how important wisdom is. Where does wisdom come from? How diligently that I work in bringing this to you. But before we get to what the wise thing is going to say, what are these here? He gives us, what are the benefits of wisdom? And again, more imagery, more descriptions. Wisdom, the words of the wise are like goads, and they're like nails firmly fixed. So what does that mean? What's a goad? I don't have any goads at home. A sharp stick, basically. Okay, a sharp stick 
What do you poke with it? Typically your critters that are supposed to be on a path and when they get off, nudge them back onto the path. Yep, so animals, livestock, and you are correcting them because they're plowing or they're doing whatever you are wanting them to do and they might want to wander and so you give them a little and they go back, right? A goad, absolutely. How is wisdom like a goad? Sometimes it hurts. It hurts, yeah. Go doesn't sound like it tickles. It sounds bad. And it sounds like it makes an animal get back right pretty quickly. It pokes them. Wisdom can hurt, sure. Right, and it, and it hurts because it's in the moments that we need to be goaded. We need to feel that so that correction is made. Yes, wisdom is often correcting us. And we need to be moved, and we feel it, because we don't like to be moved. Animals don't like to be moved. They want to be over there. That's why they started going over there in the first place, off the path you wanted them on. And yet, the goad moves us back. How is wisdom like a firmly fixed nail? It's a little bit different. Another sharp, pokey thing, but still different. How's it like a firmly fixed nail? What's that? holds things in the correct place. That's good. Absolutely. And so both of those things, back then they would, they would understand you probably could not farm without a goad of some kind. It was an essential tool. And then any, anything that you are using a nail for, there's a purpose. You want the thing to be where it is, whether you're nailing things together to make furniture, whether you're putting a picture on the wall, that's where you want it, and the nail holds it there. It keeps it from falling. It keeps it from separating. It holds things in place. And so it, wisdom can get us back where we should be and keep us where we should be. Yeah, King James says it's a nail that's applied by masters of assembly. So wisdom is pictured here as something that is necessary something that is placed where it should be and something that is profitable uh, by the master. Good. Maybe even that, you know, it is a, a nail is a fine artisan tool. You know, a, a simple person, especially back then, might not have nails. They might be trying to use other things, tying things or whatnot. But a, someone who is a master crafter would know how to use a nail in the right spot, potentially. So wisdom has that great value. And now we get kind of the, sep the second epilogue, if I can call it that, if you'll permit that. We get verses 13 and 14, in which he... In this epilogue, as I say, this is what I've been talking about the whole time. In fact, this is what I was just talking about, that silver cord, that golden bowl that holds something precious, and then it will be emptied one day, and it only has value because of what it does, because of what's inside it. This is the end of the matter. If I can say, this is what the parable meant, if you'll allow that. This is the end of the matter. All that's been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That verse is not new to you. You have been wanting to say that verse to me for a while. But you've been very obedient. Thank you. 
So hearing that spoken out loud for the first time in many weeks, how does that address, I put the, the word thesis there, it's probably the wrong word, the hypothesis posed kind of at the beginning of this book. How can this conclusion be answering in your, in your minds what this book was asking us in the first place? It's definitely wise wisdom, and we would read that, and those of us that have a knowledge of the truth, and have, especially those who obey the truth, would say absolutely. And like our mind goes to dozens of other scriptures which say this in a different way, right, that we're drawing from. How does this, how, can, how is this the conclusion of this book with what this book started in the beginning, with where we began? We will be judged by the commandments and how we plan for our lives. Okay, we will be judged by what's in this book, by, by other commandments God has given us, and the way we live is important. It will be judged. The way we live has been talked about a lot in this book, absolutely. I think he's saying that a, a lot of things that he's been saying are vain, are really not, because we're going to be judged by everything. So everything we say and everything we do is very important because we'll, we'll be judged by it. So really, it's not vain. Because there's a judgment. Judgment gives meaning to life and purpose to life. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so that's an interesting potential, not potential, seeming conflict, right, that he's been saying work is vanity and life is vanity and everything is vanity. But it sounds like it's actually pretty important because the way we work and the way we live and the way we talk and the way we interact with our neighbor, that's on the judgment sheet. All of it is. Everything, whether secret whether good or evil. So some, if we've read the word vain, as always him just saying it's unimportant, this would really challenge that because it sounds very important because this is what's going to be observed and judged in the end. Very good. Other thoughts? How does this conclude our, our book here in some ways? Yeah, Charmin. It all boils down to we belong to God. I mean, he breathed into us the breath of life. It's going to leave us one day, but our spirit will go back to him. Or he, you know, he breathed into us our spirit. Our spirit's going to go back, and no matter what else happens, we belong to him, and that's how we have to live. Absolutely, I agree. It really coming down to we belong to God. He breathed his spirit into us. And that has ramifications. That has, there are things that come out of that that we need to consider for sure. Yeah, Dan. I've never noticed this before because I'm not very bright, but it seems as though in verse 13, he's essentially repeating what he said in verse 1. You know, remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then in verse 13, the conclusion is fear God, keep his commandments. <laughs> it's like a... It's like just a, uh, a conclusion for real. <laughs> I'm saying it again. You know, now, you, now you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He is telling us, fear God. That's important. Don't fear having enough money next year. Don't fear b building bigger barns. And, and don't fear that your neighbor is doing better than you. The things that we've talked about in this book that we want to fear and that we want to think about. Fear God because... There's, there's, and it gives the important reasons that we've been talking about. Yeah, John. Just thinking he spent most of the book talking about things he said was futility or vanity, 
And it's those things that we in general think so much of, you know, wealth and popularity and wisdom, worldly wisdom. But he's saying all of those things without God, you know, just the physical acts of the thing, uh, is futility. It doesn't trans transcend the grave. It comes and goes. But uh, what he says in verses 13 and 14 are not futility because it does transcend the grave. So it doesn't come and go. It goes into eternity. And it fits very well with 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. You know, Jesus, uh, Paul had been talking about the resurrection. And he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He's saying the same thing that Solomon says here at the end of Ecclesiastes. Absolutely. The preacher starts this book, chapter 1 and verse 3, after he tells us about vanity, and he asks this question, what can man gain for all his toil under the sun? Kind of introducing, like, this is what we're going to wrestle with in this book. Is there anything that we can get under the sun? Is there anything to be gained? And he goes here and he says, no, I didn't, it doesn't gain anything. We go here, it looks like we gain something, but then we die and it just goes to someone else. So no, we don't gain anything. And we go through the book, we go through the book until we kind of reach this conclusion that he has been hinting at throughout the book. I'm kind of trying to bring us to a close here in our last five minutes here that just under the sun, no, you cannot, there's nothing to be gained. But with God, there is something to be gained. There is this purpose to be gained. There is this usefulness. There is this comparison of a bowl that gets to hold liquid and a pitcher that holds water and things that are useful and are doing something for which they were created. Kind of in our last minutes, I'm going to take us out of Ecclesiastes and very quickly go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching and he says these words starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Now perk your ears up and see if you hear a familiar person mentioned here. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is an interesting passage, and it is full of a lot of thoughts, and we probably don't have time to really talk much about it, so I will try to give a kind of a closing thought here. Um, we often will look at this passage, rightly so, and we say, don't, don't worry about your food, your clothing. Consider the birds. God is taking care of them. You're more valuable. So, of course, God will take care of you as well. I'm not disputing any of that. But this thought here that the grass of the field, this, the lilies, were somehow more brilliant than Solomon. That is an interesting thing to say. Solomon, who was so glorious 
that silver in his kingdom is just being walked over because it's, it has no value. There's too much wealth. There's too much brilliance. I do not think Jesus is saying that the lilies are just such a brilliant white that Solomon never could bleach and get to. I think what Jesus is saying is kind of what we have been concluding here in, in the final chapter, that the lilies of the field, they do what they are supposed to do because they bring glory back to God. And they do that even better than Solomon did. Even Solomon was not living in such a way that he was completely reflecting the image in which he was created. Even Solomon in all his glory did not reach the same level of just the simple grass, which is doing what it is supposed to do, declaring God's handiwork. I mentioned that he mentions the dust of the ground, I think wanting to take us back to Genesis, wanting us to remember we are made in God's image. And that is what we can gain in this life under the sun, that purpose to have that image, to reflect that image, not to worry about food, not to worry about clothing, because life is more than food and clothing. Life is reflecting God's image. That is the purpose for which we are made. That's the reason we are a bowl to be filled with something, and we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit that's come from God that will go back to Him. And that's a powerful passage that I think Jesus calls us to, to not be anxious about things under the sun, but to think about what we are actually here for. And it's the same place Solomon concludes in his book. What are you actually here for? To fear God and to keep his commandments. That is what we are here for under the sun, not all these other things. And that's what we chase after. Sorry we ran out of time tonight. Great class these past few weeks with all of you. Thank you so much for your discussion tonight, too.